Amen, brothers and sisters. So today we're going to begin a study on <clears throat> menace. We're going to begin a study on the Beatitudes, or I would say uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the first part of it. And so we're going to, as we go each week, we're going to look at each uh, Beatitude. We may couple a couple of them, but today I just wanted to start with the first one, uh, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. And um, you see, we call this Christianity 101. Why well, I, I titled it Christianity 101? Because it's one of the foundations of being a follower of Jesus. And we're going to get into what this means to be blessed and poor in spirit. Um, so that's what we're going to we're going to dig into today. So let's let's read through the the verse uh, one through eleven, and then we'll come back and just look into verse three. Amen. All right. So, chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to go down to verse uh, 11, and then we'll come back. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. All right, and it reads It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. This is why it's a sermon on the mount, sermon on the mountain, right? And after. He sat down. His disciples came to him. So Jesus has his disciples. They're, they're sitting in front of him. And he has a crowd in front of him. So try to just imagine a big mountain. You got tons of people out there. You got your disciples in the front. And Jesus is about to begin to drop some knowledge, some wisdom. And it says, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus here just drops some truth on us. Blessed, the Beatitudes. Speaking about blessedness. And let's just, let me just throw this out there. The Beatitudes, that's not, that's a title. So don't think that's literally in the Bible that Jesus said, this is the Beatitudes. But that's a Latin word. It's talking about blessedness or blessing, happiness, joy. And so that's what Beatitudes is talking about. Don't, it's a title. So it's just get that, get that straight. But I, this Sermon on the Mount, this, this passage of scripture, I love it because in these verses that we just read and all throughout this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is redeeming the Jewish religious culture back to God. He's redeeming the culture. He's redeeming the people back to God. And in his Sermon on the Mount, he basically, he attacks the culture and flips culture's thoughts and ideas of different things on its head. What people thought they knew they come to realize that they really did not know. For example, 
In Matthew 5, 27, Jesus speaks about adultery. And he says that ye heard that it was said, ye shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What? See, that's, that's, that's not what the Pharisees or scribes taught us, Mr. Jesus. See, that's, that's the, the thought or the mindset that the people have here. That's not what my religious teachers have taught us, Jesus. That's not what we hear in synagogue, Mr. Jesus. That's not how my mother and grandfather and father and all my generation have raised up to believe. That's not what we were taught, that if you look at a woman with lust, it's the same as adultery. We're taught you don't commit adultery. See, Jesus right here, he's attacking the culture. He's bringing them into a deeper truth of God and his kingdom by letting them know the real of the real. And so he's attacking them and he's flipping their thoughts and their ideas of what they thought they knew on its head. You also see this in Matthew 5, 21, where Jesus, he puts murder and anger with our brother on the same page. In Matthew 5, 21, he says, you heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. So do you see how he's taking it much deeper? They thought they knew, they thought they had it, but he's giving them a deeper understanding. He's showing them what really looks like or what it really looks like when it comes to anger how God views us he's given us a God perspective on anger he said it's the equivalent he puts it on the scale with murder in John chapter 4 Jesus was having a conversation with a lady right she was a Samaritan and the Samaritan said that this this was the conversation with Jesus and a lady she said that when the Messiah comes he will guide us into all truth or he will reveal all things to us he'll let us know all truth see that was a common expectation of the messiah that when this messiah comes he was going to reveal make all things known to us matter of fact that's how she said it. he's going to make all things known to us and that's exactly what's happening here jesus is coming and he's making all things known to them so here in his sermon on the mount jesus is dropping a whole lot of truth and he's redeeming this culture back to God. And in the beginning of this sermon, which is the Beatitudes that we are looking at, we see he starts by redeeming blessedness or what blessing is. He's going to redeem and show us what blessing really is. Because if you think about it in the culture, we use this term blessings a lot, right? We use it kind of flippantly. We say everything is blessed. You found uh, this granola bar. Oh, you're blessed. Oh, that, that, whatever. There's a nice flower oh bless 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 we kind of flippantly use this term blessed and even in this jewish culture you had this false teaching with the pharisees that was largely based on uh man-made doctrine and they would tell people to do these things and you're blessed by doing them so jesus now in these beatitudes is going to redeem blessings he's going to redeem blessedness and show us what blessing really looks like He's going to show up the chief blessings, if you will, what that should look like when a person is truly blessed. So in this first beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs. They belong to theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I want you to keep this thought in mind. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus is speaking to the same people here that he's talking here on the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells these people here in Matthew 6.33 that you should seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, meaning you should seek to enter into, seek to be a part of, a continual seeking God and his kingdom. And we see here in the Beatitudes that Jesus is showing us that people who are seeking are people who belong to the kingdom of God are those who are poor in spirit poor in spirit. See, before we enter into God's eternal heavenly kingdom, we must first enter into his kingdom here on earth. We enter into God's kingdom here on earth by submitting to the authority of Jesus and taking on the traits or characteristics that he so describes. And here in the Beatitudes, that trait or characteristic is to be poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. So God has decided to populate his kingdom. God has decided to populate his heaven with people who are poor in spirit. And that's what makes that particular trait blessed. That's why it's blessed. Because it is those people who belong to the kingdom of God. So now that trait is blessed. See, it's like this. If God said that all redheads will enter into my kingdom. We would then say, blessed are the redheaded. Do you get it here? We would say, blessed are the redheaded. Why? Because you're allowed to be, or you're going to be a part of God's kingdom. So what he's saying here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because these are the ones that are going to be a part of or have the kingdom of heaven. He's identifying these traits that should be exhibited or shown in the life of a person who has entered into the kingdom of God, come under the authority of Jesus. So let's look at these words in detail. Let's look at these words in detail. Blessed, he says, are the poor. The poor. What does it mean to be poor, right? What does it mean to be poor? Poor means that you what? Are without. It means that you are lacking. It means that you are not sufficient in of yourself. And this is not that Americanized poor. This is that third world country poor, that that nakedness, I don't have anything wretched, feeble, I'm begging poor. That's what this, this Greek word means. It's, uh, it's photokoas. I can't even pronounce Greek. I don't know why I'm going to be trying. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, po- ah, I'm going to just stop trying. But it's, it means like beggary poor like that that real poor so saying blessed are the poor poor in what though poor in spirit now this greek word spirit it's it's talking about breath it gives the illusion of of life like when you breathe your air is your breath it keeps you living he's talking about the spirit of a person blessed are the poor in spirit matter of fact strong's dictionary defines This word spirit like this, it says, it is the power by which the human being feels things, decides, or or, or, I mean, feels things or decides. See, our body is but a shell, right? This flesh and blood is just, it's just a shell. It's our spirit. See, we're truly a spirit being. This body is just a shell, but it's a spirit that's while we're alive and moving and thinking. And so he's talking about the spirit here. 
So let's think at it again. Let's look at it again. Blessed are the poor, impoverished, feeble, weak, and what? Spirit or life. And I don't have any spirit. I don't have any life within me. Blessed are those. But what does that mean, right? I, I get what you're saying, Brother Jerome. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But what does that mean? What is he really getting at? But let's interpret scripture with scripture here. Go to Revelations chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. Let's see if we can get an idea of what it means to be poor in spirit. Revelations, last book of the Bible. Revelation, not Revelations. I always say that. Chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. We here? So let's read this letter to the church. It says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this, verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 17, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And here goes the point. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable and poor and blind and naked. 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may close yourself that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I slave to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Huh? So Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea. And what you have to understand about this church is if this was a wealthy church, financially wealthy, this is a very wealthy church. Why? Because in Laodicea was a wealthy city. This was a city that was the center of commerce. Matter of fact, this city was so wealthy that when there was a large earthquake, as opposed to going to the government, you know, how like when we have um, major disasters, they, they call it a, a state of emergency. And then when it's a state of emergency, like uh, Katrina, that's a state of emergency. When it's a state of emergency, then that city can go to the federal government to get funds to rebuild their city because it's so bad. And so that's why cities and governments want to claim when there's a major catastrophe, that is a state of emergency because now they can go and get funds. So but with these little sins, when they were in a state of uh, emergency, when there was this large earthquake, because they were so wealthy, the city and the inhabitants, they didn't even go to the Roman government. They actually rebuilt the city themselves with their own money. That's how wealthy this city was. So you can imagine this church. This is a, this is a wealthy church. This is a church that is very well off. They got all their financial needs. They're pretty well off. And so because they are well off, they're rich and they're prospering. They think, as Jesus is showing us in here, they think that they're okay. They think that they are, that they are not in need of anything, it says here. And Jesus said, you're not realizing that truly you are wretched. You're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind and naked. You think you have it all because your pockets are fat or because your bank account is good or because you have a nice house or because you have a nice career. You think you have it all because you have all of these material things, all of the successes of the, of the world, but truly saying you're really rich, you're, you're pitiable, you're, you're poor, you're blind and naked. 
When Jesus says those things, he's not talking about naturally or physically that they're that way. But Jesus is going to the spirit. He's going to the soul. He's saying the state of your soul as you stand before me, who is God, the one that's going to judge the living and the dead, you are wretched. See, he's going much deeper than the material things. And guess what? It's not just to lay out the sins that are like this, that get so caught up in materialism and things of this world. But it's all of us. It's the whole world is in this condition. The whole world stands like the Laodiceans, spiritually bankrupt before God. But here's the major problem with much of the world and these Laodiceans is that they don't realize it. That's the point. He says, you don't even know that you're really in this wretched position. You think you're good because you have all of these other things, but you don't even realize how wretched you are. They're like much of the world. They believe that they're okay. They have their careers. They have their hobbies. They have their money. They believe they're not as bad as the people they see on the news. They're not like the terrorists. And so they believe that they're okay. They're not worried about a judgment. Judgment? What judgment, they say? And even if there is a judgment, I'm a good person. See, they're, they're, they're okay. They're deceived, just like these Laodiceans. And that's why it's such a blessed thing to be poor in spirit. And when it says poor in spirit, it's referring to those who know that you're spiritually deficient, who know that you're spiritually deficient in of yourself, that you need God. See, blessed are the poor in spirit of people that realize that I am in need. See, this is why Christianity, and this may be an oversimplification, Christianity is a faith of broken people that realize that they are broken and wretched people and in need of a savior. If you want to just sum it up in that sense, that's what Christianity is. It is broken, wretched, miserable people recognizing, yes, I am broken. Yes, I am messed up. Yes, I do got problems. Yes, I do need a savior. Yes, I don't know the Lord. Yes, my sins have said, see, that is what Christianity truly is. And that's why this first beatitude is Christianity 101. Because to be a first, be a follower of Christ, The first thing you have to do is acknowledge that I'm not fine, that I am messed up, that I am wretched, that I am a poor, miserable sinner, that there is no life in me, that my sins have taken me away and I do need help. I do need a savior. I am poor in spirit. See, before you can get healed, you must acknowledge that you are sick. Before you can get healed, you must acknowledge that you are sick. See, before you drive down to the doctor's office and stand in line and pay that high copay and pick up your prescription, before all of that happens, what first has to happen in your life? You have to acknowledge and realize that I am sick, there's a problem in me, and I need a doctor. That's why Jesus says it is not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. But how do we move? from this position of spiritual paupers before God because of our sin and depravity to being spiritually rich and wealthy. Well, you keep looking at what Jesus said here to the Laodiceans. Look what he says in Revelations 3.18. Look what he says here. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich 
and white garments so that you may close yourself that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and isolated to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What does he say here? He says, buy gold from me. Now, why is Jesus using this vernacular of come and buy from me? He's using this vernacular because this is the language that the church understands. Why? Because they're in Laodicea. They understand buying and selling. They understand trade. That's what made the city so wealthy. So Jesus is using some language or vernacular that they understand. They understand buying and selling. So what's the point? Why does he say come and buy from me? What Jesus is saying when he makes this statement, he's saying that I have a monopoly over salvation. You have to come and buy from me. You, you can't go buy from Muhammad. You can't go buy from Islam. You, you can't go buy from Buddha. I am the one that has it. That's why he says, you come and buy from me. That gold is symbolic of salvation. That's why he said, gold refined by fire. That's like the purest and best gold. He's talking about their salvation here. And he's saying that I'm the one you get it. And until you have this, this salvation, you are a wretch, poor, and miserable sinner. When you have this, now you are wealthy. Now you are rich. So he says, come and buy from me. But buying means it's going to cost something, right? Buying is going to cost something. So what is this going to cost for us to get this gold, this treasure, this salvation? Well, it's going to be your will submitted to Jesus. It's going to be your will submitted to him. It's going to be your life, your plans, like the song that we sung. It's going to be all of you now submitted to Jesus. He is now Lord of your life. That's what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you dying to yourself. That is how we get this precious gold. That is how we get this treasure. That is how we cover, he says here, our, our wretchedness with these white garments. How we buy it from him. We get our salvation from him. So he's showing us what that looks like here. He's the monopoly. He's the one over salvation. Being poor in spirit is a blessed thing. Understanding that you're poor in spirit, I would say better, is a blessed thing. That you know that you have a need. That you stand miserable outside of Jesus. But also being poor in spirit looks like this. Go to Luke 18. Luke 18. Show you what else poor in spirit looks like. Verses 10 to 14. So let's look here. We're here, Luke 18, verse 10 to 14. Look what he says here. He says, this is Jesus. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And the other a tax collector, a publican. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Why? Look what I do. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So in what we read, who's the one who's poor in spirit in here? We see it's it's the tax collector. See, the, the Pharisee here is blind to the holiness of God. And that's become spiritually arrogant due to the fact that he has kept parts of God's commandments. I say parts because the, the Pharisees didn't keep it all. They kept parts. That's why Jesus tells us, I think it's in uh, Matthew 23, where he's saying the woes to the scribes and Pharisees. He says that you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. See, they, they didn't keep all the provisions. They kept like the tithing and, and the different offerings. But when it came to mercy, when it came to showing justice and, and caring for the widowed and, and the fatherless and the poor and all those different things we read in Isaiah, when it came to those heavier parts, the weighty parts of the law, they were neglecting in that area. But since they had a few little things down over here, they thought that they were okay. They thought that their righteous, their their good works was going to save them. They thought that they were holy. They thought that they could stand before God. So he stood there with a proud spirit saying, I'm not like this person over there. I'm not like her over there because why I do all of these works over there. They stood there with a proud spirit. But the publican, the tax collector, do you see his response? Look at his response. He's just sitting there broken. He can't even look up towards heaven because he knows of his state. See, you you, you have to understand the publican or the tax collector during this time in Jesus culture. I mean, in a Jewish culture, they were considered to be like the scum of the earth. They were like the lowest of the low. They were like that chief sinner because they were working with the Roman government who were oppressing them. And not only were they just scum, but they thought, but that they would, they were crooks because they would charge people extra for their taxes and they would keep the difference. Remember Zacchaeus? See, these were like the, the lowest of the low. They were the scum. Have you ever heard that phrase where you, you know a person who was really out there in the world and we say, boy, if this person ever walk into the church, the church gonna burn up. You, you, you ever heard that phrase? That was kind of like the sentiment around the publicans. They were so sinful that, guess what, when it came to the Jewish court system, they couldn't even be used as a witness. They were excluded from certain religious services. Why? Because they were too sinful. See, you got to understand why Jesus is using the tax collector in the story that he's explaining. He's trying to show this is the sinner. This is the, the lowest of the low. But look how he's engaging. Look how he's happening with the, the tax collector. He's coming, according to Luke, this tax collector has been brought to a place of repentance to where now he's actually in the temple, a place where tax collectors really wouldn't deal. He's now, this tax collector is now being brought to this low place of repentance. See, this tax collector at this moment of time when he's coming to the temple and having a repentant heart, guess what? This tax collector is that drug addict who now comes to a realization of where his sins has drugged him. At this point in time, this tax collector is that porn addict that realizes where my lust and my hedonism has led me. 
See, at this place and point in time, that publican, that tax collector is you or me when we come to that place, realizing that there is nothing in our hands we bring, but simply to the cross we cling, that there is nothing I can give God to stand righteous before him. I am just like this publican. I am just a sinner. And God, the thing that I need is mercy. So the publican with a poor spirit throws himself on the mercy of God. He doesn't offer up his works. He knows that he doesn't have any. So he just throws himself upon the mercy of God. See, that's poor in spirit. And that's blessed. That's a blessed position. It's blessed to see that, to, to know that, man, I, it's nothing. God, I can't even look up. He wouldn't even look up. It's up is heaven where God is. He's like, my eyes don't even deserve to peek at you, God. That's how much of a sinner I am. I don't even want to look up. He has his head down in shame, understanding his, his wretchedness. Ah, that's a blessed thing. So that's why it's blessed. Those who are poor in spirit. This is why Jesus is teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, it's such a radical thought. Because this goes against the culture of that time. This is not what the religious teachers were teaching. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were teaching man-made things and calling them blessed. They were putting these heavy burdens upon the people of God so that they can actually enter into the kingdom of God. Go to Matthew 23. I want you to see this with your eyes. Matthew 23, 13. Matthew 23, 13. This is Jesus blasting the religious teachers. He says this, he says, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Look what he says, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. They're shutting it off. For you do not enter in yourselves. You're shutting it off from them and you're not entering in yourself. Nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. See, the, the religious leaders were actually clothing the doors of the kingdom of heaven in a sense because they were offering up this works-based righteous system. They were perpetuating this system that made man be the, the sinner, that made it based on our righteousness. And so when he says they're, they're adding these heavy loads, they had all these work man-based commandments and things you had to do to be into the kingdom of God. You had to do all these different things to be considered blessed. But Jesus, with this beatitude, he's actually opening the door because he's removing that man-made works-based righteousness system and saying that, no, the person who, who belongs to the kingdom of God is not this person that is just a perfect person and following these commandments, but the person who belongs or who the kingdom of God is, is that person who is poor in spirit. It's that person that realizes their spiritual depravity. It's the person that is repenting. It's the person that is submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord and following him. See, Jesus is actually opening the door with this Beatitudes. Because all these other things that the, the Pharisees and scribes were teaching, the people, they couldn't do that. 
but acknowledging your depravity? I, I can't maybe do all that, but yes, I'm a sinner. Yeah, or maybe I can't do this over here, but man, I'm a sin. Yes, I'm, I'm. See, he's opening. He's not adding a heavy yoke. He's, that's why he says in Matthew 11 that come take my yoke upon you. It's light. It's easy. It's not the yoke of the Pharisees and the scribes trying to get you to perform all of these perfect religious things. No, you come and learn of me. You come and follow me. You're needy. Follow me because you're needy. See, it's, it's, that's the poor in spirit. But here's the challenge for us today. The challenge for us today with this beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God, is that because of Jesus, we are now spiritually rich. Because of Jesus and what he has done, he has reconciled us to God the Father. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And we acknowledge that, we rejoice in that, we rest in Jesus. But at the same time, we must maintain the posture of a spiritually poor beggar, knowing that if I do not remain in the vine, Jesus, I can do nothing pleasing before God. That I am nothing if I don't remain in the vine. See, it is this vine that I am grafted to that gives me my significance before God. Outside of maintaining in the vine, I am a poor, wretched, naked sinner. That's a challenge. Understanding that we're rich. Yes, we're rich, but we want to keep the posture of a spiritually poor beggar knows that he's in needy of Jesus. And that was the problem with the Laodiceans in Revelations 3. That's why Jesus says in Revelations 3, when he's talking to the Laodiceans, he says, I know your deeds. They're neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm. See, they were no longer clinging to the vine. As opposed to clinging to the vine, they started to cling to their wealth. And it impacted the way that they lived. To where he says, I know your deeds, they're not hot nor cold. Why? Because they're clinging to something else that is not Jesus. They're clinging to the wealth. So my question to you is, what are you clinging to? What are you looking to sustain your life? Is it wealth? Is it a career? Is it material things? Is it business? What is driving you? Are you seeking the living water? Are you like that poor spiritual beggar knowing that I need Jesus without him I die? Or are you clinging to something else? Because we see the results of clinging to something else with the Laodiceans. It affected their life where Jesus had to call them out for it. So what are you clinging to? Are you still in a state after 20 years, 10 years, however long walking with Jesus you've been doing? Are you still this poor, wretched sinner? Do you still have that mindset that outside of Jesus, I am nothing? Or have you gone beyond that? See, that is a challenge. Knowing that I'm still needy, that I so need divine, that I, if I move outside of Jesus, man, I'm just a wretch sinner. I have to stay sticking to this vine. Why? Because he gives me my significance before God. Outside of that, I'm nothing. I could do nothing pleasing before God. And the Apostle Paul, he knew that about himself. The Apostle Paul he understood the temptations of the world and in himself and the different things that would try to move him away from the vine. 
That's why in Philippians 3, I want, I want to show you something here, how, how serious Paul took this. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And this is Paul. He's talking to the church in Philippi. And because he understands the temptation inside of him, his own self-righteousness, that he will end up putting his trust in his own self-righteousness, not in, not in uh, Christ but himself. Look what he says that he does. In 3.7, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Verse nine, he says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul understands the temptation of himself. He understands the temptation of self-righteousness that he would have if he clung to his old life. And so he says, because I want to make, I want to stay in this vine. I want Christ. I realize I got to lose all of this because this thing over here is going to constantly be a temptation with Christ in my life. So Paul wants to make sure that all of his eggs are in Jesus. So what anything, whatever it is that's going to potentially take him away from that, he said, I'm dying to it. I'm getting rid of it. And so that's why I ask you, what are you clinging to? Is there something in your life that is competing with Christ? Where he is not your all in all, where he is not your source, where you feel like I'm not this spiritual beggar. That is the mindset we want to have with Jesus. I'm poor in spirit. If you don't feel me, I'm nothing. Outside of you, I'm nothing. See, brothers and sisters, don't delude yourself into thinking that you are far from becoming a religious snob. Trusting in your church attendance, trusting in the fact that you preach or evangelize, help the poor, help the elderly. We must maintain the posture of a spiritual beggar in Christ. That is the posture we must maintain. Because Jesus says that blessed are those who have this posture, poor in spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your goodness unto us. God, we are nothing but poor beggars. Looking to you, we are insufficient. We are not sufficient in ourselves, Lord God. It is you that gives us our significance, Lord God. So we're going to cling to you always. You give us our life. It is through you we live and breathe and move. You are a source. We're strong because you are strong. There's nothing about us that deserves this mercy, God. It is you we cling to. So God, we thank you for opening up your kingdom to us, opening up salvation to us, allowing us to be a part of you eternally, not based on our works, but the righteousness of Christ. 
So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that they maintain this posture, constantly trusting in you, knowing that within themselves they are just wretched sinners, that they remain in you, the vine, and find life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.